it was just the most fun experience I think I've ever had on a set. And it's been one of those experiences where when we all saw the film, we all kind of felt the same, which was, this is one of the best things I've ever been in. I remember Jacob sent me a voice note after he saw it and he was like, you don't get to be in films like this. Like, it's so <laughs> rare. Like, this, this is the kind of film that you that you watch and think, oh, I wish I was in that. I wish I was in that. And it's so exciting that we're, that we get to be in that film. It's just always one of those things you just, it's such an exciting part of all of our careers. And, and I feel really proud of Emerald. She's just a beast and it's, and she was so adamant on what she wanted to make and seeing it come to life. I think she's just done the most extraordinary job. You're listening to The Face Podcast with me, Matthew Whitehouse, recorded at Spotify. Today, we're joined by The Face's style and culture editor, TJ Sidhu, and our assistant editor, Jade Wicks, to chat about Saltburn, the dark comic thriller, which we think is going to be one of the most talked about British films of the year. We'll also have one of the film's stars, Archie Medeque, dialing in to talk about his experience on set, and we've done our best to avoid spoilers. Saltburn. We did a screen of it the other day, didn't we? Did you go? I did. I didn't. You didn't, but you've seen it before. But I have seen Good, it. Good, that's helpful for the podcast. <laughs> well, what was the screening like, Teach? Oh, it was great. I actually think that most of our readers would prefer to go to a screening than they would a swanky posh party. Really? What makes you say that? I think it's just it's a nice way to get out the house. Uh-huh. Uh, there were some drinks flowing. It's a good chance to see a film before anyone else does, especially when it is a film with as much excitement as Saltburn. People are excited, aren't they? Because when we because we do a few of those screenings, we've done them for different films in the past, haven't we? And, mm. and the Saltburn one, soon as we put it, just so for context for people listening, this was a screening that we did of Saltburn kind of a couple of weeks ago, and people were really really excited. And it went straight away, didn't it? As soon as we yeah. put it on Instagram, people signed up instantly. I think it sold out within. Mm moment yeah um why do you think people are so excited about this film i think like it's one of those films as well where the director kind of has maybe not quite as much but almost as much notoriety as the actors like emerald fennel had obviously done promising young woman which was a massive film and Mm. i think people were really kind of thrilled and excited to see what she was going to do for the follow-up to that and then obviously i mean jacob elordi is a massive pull yeah massive pull go on tj i also think they did a really i think they did a good um tj's eyes lit up (laughs) he just sat right up in his chair (laughs) more on jacob later i think they did a really good job with the trailer as well of of Mm. sort of making it into this like hedonistic drug addled party people you know the tagline i think was we're all about to lose our minds and i think there there was this real sexiness to it Mm. in the trailers but Mm. smoky and the posters as well and the posters amazing yeah and i think as well we're we're all a little bit obsessed with you know this sort of untouchable upper class huge houses and they do all these weird eccentric things i think as a society we are always, always just naturally quite interested and obsessed with that Mm, um, mm, so mm. I think all those things together in your most spoiler free way possible can you try and sort of um, give a little explanation of what the film is about or just at least set the scene for people who haven't watched it yet so the film revolves around Oliver who's played by Barry Cohen um, who's amazing and he is basically like a working class guy from the north of England and he comes to Oxford um, for university and he kind of immediately feels out of place and then I guess through a kind of good deed on his part, he kind of becomes good friends with Felix, who's played by Jacob Elordi, who's this kind of like heartthrob it boy. 
who's really charismatic and has loads of friends, is super popular at Oxford and he kind of becomes close friends with him. And then due to a kind of like host of family problems that Oliver's dealing with, Felix kind of takes him under his wing mm. to his family estate at Saltburn in the countryside. And then that's basically where it comes into what you were saying, TJ. We, we all, they all lost, you say they all lost their minds. It's, it's sort of descends all, over a summer, right? We're yeah. all about to lose our minds. Right, there you go, yeah. And so mm. it's, it follows what happens basically over, over that summer. Is that kind of about as far as it gets in the trailer? Yes, yeah, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, but it kind of paints a good picture of how kind of like attractive Felix's character is to Oliver and how he kind of like possesses this kind of like magnetism that he kind of can't quite shy right. away from. So then you can't, that's where you kind of get a sense of the like madness that something is going to, mm. like something's going to tip those I scales. Attention. I haven't seen the trailer. I've seen the film, obviously, mm. but I haven't seen the, seen the trailer. Is it presented kind of that sort of sensually, sort of sexually? Te- there's tension, right. I would say. That's what it presents quite well. Well, I think when I first watched the trailer, I, I automatically went to this as quite a queer adjacent film. Right. Because there's a lot of like, se- you know, even in the trailer, there's a lot of like sexual tension between... Mm. Jacob and Barry's characters. Mm. There's a lot of like, you know, close-ups of skin, a lot of sweat, um, which actually I think is something that Emerald does really well. Also, it's like close-up shots. Right. Mm. I'm getting quite, staring quite off topic here to talk about no. skin and sweat. And then the, well, the other thing that you pointed out the other day was an eyebrow piercing. Yes. It, it's J- Jacob Lordy's character has an eyebrow piercing. Right? Yeah, he has an eyebrow piercing, and I think that was one of the things that a lot of people picked up on in the trailer. Wow, it's like you know this sort of. <laughs> beautiful <clears throat> Adonis like figure suddenly has a has an eyebrow piercing and I, <laughs> and I think when you watch the film actually I think what was interesting was that Emerald uh, she set it in I think it's about 2006 mm. which it was a very very specific time you know I think when we look back on it now there's almost like hints of I, I find almost like hints of the 80s mm. it's very you know bigger is better we were all wearing those like sort of neon coloured sunglasses and mm. leg warmers were back and you know maybe me- you were <laughs> I was yeah I definitely was much to my mother's dismay uh, <laughs> um, funny story actually I used to wear a jumper and it was grey and in lime green on the front it said uh, born in the 80s <laughs> I in fact was born in 1995 um, crazy I know I think it was one of those Hen- Henry Holland jumpers which was all very much that wow, time wow love that yeah so it was very much House like, of it, Hackney House of Hackney it was very it was a very hedonistic time I think people were quite quite experimental with fashion so actually when you place it in that context the eyebrow piercing makes a lot of sense because it was his way of subverting himself or subverting his poshness as well or subverting his poshness yeah. yeah and there's a, there's a, this isn't a spoiler but there is a funny part in the film where he actually takes his stud out before he goes home for the summer because mm. he says his mum mother doesn't like um, <laughs> ugliness yeah oh Rosamund Pike is so good on it yeah she's fantastic it's, it's, quite, it's, it's funny we're trying to talk about it without spoilers because it's <laughs> one thing that Davey always mentions when we're around the desk at work oh because because we're lucky you know people who get to go and watch films before they come mm. out you know as, as members of the press and um, Davey because he's beat his music doesn't really go and watch as many films and so we're all going oh god I saw this film last night you see then we all start wanting to talk about it to each other he was playing no spoilers he doesn't like he it does he can't stand it but the music is really that's one thing David would like is the music is really good you're right mm. TJ and I'm looking yes. at the soundtrack now it's like Cold War Kids MGMT Block Party Girls Aloud The Killers and <laughs> I think the most special edition was Cheeky Girls Have a Cheeky so Christmas good. and that was played quite early on in the film wasn't it Jade um, it was it was like a university uh, Oxford University Christmas party yeah. and actually that song just really 
really encapsulates the time. You know, quite naff, quite plastic. <laughs> you know, it just a bit works, silly. Though, doesn't it? Yeah, mm, I, I forgot Emerald Fennel did a Q and A, didn't she? After our screening, yeah, was that did. good? Yeah, it was great. She is a fantastic speaker. <laughs> did, what, what did you sort of glean from from it that you that you um, hadn't from just watching the film? She, I, well, what, what I didn't realize is that as a director, she has a lot. Of, she puts in a lot of hidden, yeah, a little hid, a couple of hidden moments. Mm. Matthew, you know one of them because you spotted them, but we can't almost can't discuss it without spoiling the entire film. <laughs> yeah, well, I spo- I spotted something, and the only other person that spotted it is Carmen yes. from work who was at the screen as well, mm. and Craig, our consultant editor who interviewed Emerald mm. on stage, asked her. Is it true that this thing happens and it does happen? So there's a moment around. I think it's the first breakfast scene. There's a sort of Easter egg, as they call them. That, that, Easter um, egg. That's wow. it. Yeah. I yeah. totally missed that. Yeah. Um, but it must have been very satisfying for you to have that confirmed. Yeah. On on record as well. We've got Craig asking her. <laughs> yeah. You know. So from, straight from the horse's mouth. But you know, I love I love hearing Emerald speak about this time because she was also a, a student at university. Uh, I want to say either Oxford or Cambridge. I can't remember, but she was a student at that time. So mm. for her, this was almost like it was very. It felt very personal, and yeah. you know, all the, like the styling, the music, the raucous parties. Emerald herself is. She she went to Marlborough College, you know. Mm-hmm. So she she's been and around. she did study English at Oxford. She did. It was I'm Oxford. just it's some my um, well compiled notes that I'm looking at right now. I didn't just know. <laughs> I love that. that. So you know, in that sense, it felt brutally honest. You know, all like all the one liners, the yeah. sort of toffee nosed, like excruciating. <laughs> sort of eccentricities of, of these mad posh people mm. she's been around them her whole life yeah I quite like how she kind of like is posh and like leans into her poshness and kind of like exactly so. and then kind of is like you know what I'm not going to try and pretend that this isn't you know my life and what I've lived and I'm just going to make a really fun sexy film out of it mm. and I think it's almost it's quite interesting I think to watch a film like that at a time like this when the kind of like class divide is like more fraught than ever and there's a cost of living crisis and stuff but like still there's that kind of weird schadenfreude where you mm. want to kind of see you know the lives of posh people go yeah really wrong yeah, um, like in well, a weird way. Well, it, it, it's and it's a sort of a piece with um, some other recent releases, isn't it? We did that article last year, and it did really, really well. It performed really mm. well for us, and it was an article about um, films that I think we called sort of eat the rich films, yeah. and those triangular sadness, mm. and there was the menu, and there was glass onion. You know, is, is Saltburn yeah. does Saltburn fit in one of these films? Is it kind of a satire of, of, of upper classes in that in that way? I don't personally. I don't think it is. I it was one of the f- few people that actually hated Triangle of Sadness because I felt that I they, didn't like it either. It yeah. was, you know, look at these awful people and look at the awful things that they say and do. Whereas I think what Emerald does really well is that she balances the sort of personalities, you know? Mm. You have Felix who is actually on the outside a lovely guy. Yeah. You know? He yeah. he befriends Oliver. He's got a very sensitive side to him. He's yeah, he's charismatic and he's the Beanock. Beanock. <laughs> Such a Beanock. Such a Beanock. What's a Beanock? Beanock is big name on campus. Oh. Yeah. Which is a, a university term. Quite you teach. I was quite. Uh, oh, <laughs> shameless. But she does that very, very well. And his sister, um, his sister Venetia, for example, she has mm. countless problems that she's going through. And, 
she's you know she, there's a lot of suffering mm. and you feel you feel a lot of sadness for this character but at yeah. the same time they are despicable people yeah I don't but think she shies they? away from that. She's not trying to paint them as one thing or the other. I don't think she's trying to create a sense of sympathy for them. Mm. It, it actually, it I, kind I, of... I, don't, I, I think, I feel as though she is. Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, one thing she has said, in fact, is trying to make these kind of unlikable characters mm. sympathetic. I think, I wonder if that is the main difference between that and, you know, like a triangle of sadness yeah. that sort of doesn't quite have that. Yeah, that's know? that's a good point, actually. And I think the film surprised me, again, without any spoilers. I think I felt that's where she was going mm. in a very kind of black and white way in the uh. first half of the film. And then it completely veered off course and actually really took me off guard. I'm sure you guys know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, hang on a second. Like, maybe this is not quite as two-dimensional mm. as I thought it would be. Mm. But yeah, I think you're right, actually. I mm. take that back. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I interviewed Archie, who plays Farley, where he was talking about the complexity of his character, you know, and kind of... There are moments in which he appears, you know, quite unlikable, but he's yeah. also a complex character. He's the yeah. only character of colour in the film, and, and which brings a different kind of reading of situations to the other characters totally. he is a very mm. loyal friend you know he is all of these things beyond just kind of the unlikable character you meet in the first instance yeah. you know so he talked a little bit about that sort of complexity and he's really brilliant in it as well I think yeah. that last breakfast scene oh, with him in is, is, is fantastic so yeah here's my conversation with Archie Medeque and he was in Los Angeles preparing for the film's premiere I'm seeing it tonight, properly finished, with an audience for the first time at the premiere. I saw it with a temp score and everything, and I've heard it's a really fun film to watch with a crowd. I think people are very vocal, people scream, like people, it's, very, it's a very shocking film. And so I'm excited to see that for the first time. What was it that attracted to you? Was it, was it purely reading the script for the first time and you thought, wow, I, I really want to be part of this? The audition process was kind of unconventional. I, um, it, was, there was, it was shrouded in so much secrecy. Because that Emerald had won the Oscar for Best Screenplay, the, the script was so under lock and key. So I'd like heard whispers of uh, Emma Fennell's looking at you for her next film. I think you know, she's so intentional. I think she'd kind of cast it in her head a long time, a long time before she'd even begun casting. I was like, that is so random. What she see me in? What that? I don't. I don't know Emma Fennell. And um, and we had some. A, a few of my friends are producers on this, and so I'd heard whispers like, oh yeah, Emma's looking at you for this thing. And then we were sent these monologues, some that she'd written, some from plays, and we were asked to do them in different accents, one in RP, one in a regional northern, one in American. And we did these accents. I went in, it was my first audition out of COVID. And I just remember, I, I thought I was so shit. I remember going, doing it so, like I kept on stopping, I felt so bad. I kept on doing it and then be like, well, I'm so sorry, can we do that again? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm trying, I'm trying, what I want to do is this, like what I want him to do is this, I don't think I did it. Hold on, I'm going to do it again. And I just could see the broadcasting director looking at me like, dude, get a fucking move on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just was so rusty. Auditioning is such a skill and I was so out of practice. And I left. I remember I've got a voice note somewhere sending it to my friend being like, I fucked that. I absolutely <laughs> fucked that. I don't know what, she doesn't want me anymore, trust me. I came back around, more notes, same monologues, back around, more notes, same monologue. At this point, I still have no idea what the film's about. And so, like, it was like, you know, growing intrigue. And then, finally, when I got the script, after so much anticipation, I was like, holy shit, this 
is unbelievable. I can't believe that this is what we've been auditioning for this entire time. It was so, yeah, that moment was so exciting because my, at that point, my expectations were sky high and then, and then they were met. And that's really rare. Mm. And I just was so desperate to, to be a part of it. Will you play the character Farley Start in the film, and he's the cousin to to Jacob, a lord is Felix. How did she explain the the character to you, and then how would you describe the character to to people listening? I think I remember seeing the script in Farley's Farley's. I think uh, he's described as an impish, <laughs> an, a, a beautiful, a beautiful um, like like evil impish twink or something like uh, <laughs> Farley strikes people almost as the villain I've had a couple of section people that have seen it being like so fun seeing you as the villain but I kind of I don't agree with that he's the only person really that has sense he he's uh, Farley is obviously an incredibly privileged young man grew up on the upper west side I imagine that his mum was a model his dad you know shrouded them in money and took off and left them and they kind of they found themselves hard on times financially and he goes over to London and heads to boarding school with his cousins and he is you know firstly the odd one out because he's the only person of colour he's an American but also he's holding on to that thing of wealth because it's so like it's, it's slipping from him so much that he has this exterior exterior self-conscious shell of trying to fit in and trying to keep up appearances. He's an incredible conversationalist, probably more intelligent than Felix. He is athletic. He's all of these like incredible things that you get from going to these boarding schools. But, you know, he doesn't always, he's not always allowed to flex that. And, some, and what that leaves him with sometimes is just being the entertaining kind of little clown. He sees, he sees this thing in Oliver that feels unbelievably recognisable because, you know, he's been doing the same thing for years and that's a threat. And so he's immediately hesitant to be around him because and, and, and defensive of him and wants him out because it's only kind of room for one of me. Like there's only room for, I, there can't be two people here having handouts. You, you can't be here too. It's like a mirror and in the karaoke scene, Oliver says, come on, this is your song too. And like, you know, he's being found out and that's just, he's kind of flying a little bit too close to the sun. Emma would always be like, Saltburn 2, Oliver and Farley end up together, like living in this house in New York. It's so fun. <laughs> You're right though. You, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I think I've even read somewhere Emerald say that she wanted to make the viewer sympathise with unlikable people, you know, with the, with this film. Yeah. And, and, and Farley is, you know, in, for large periods of the film, he, he, he is an unlikable character in some ways, but he also always retains a kind of, and particularly by the end, there's a real sympathy to him. He is a sympathetic character by the end. Yeah, definitely. Well, I... I, I... You know, the, the film starts with him kind of throwing this like throwaway, almost bullyish comment to Oliver. And I remember like really sticking on that with them all for a while. Cause I was like, I don't think he's just a bully. That's first day of school. That's about him and these new friends and saying, I'm a funny person, I can make quick witted comments. And it's not about Oliver because actually he goes to that English class and he doesn't even remember who Oliver is. He doesn't even remember making that comment to him. It's all about what can I gain in that moment that's going to 
help me out. Like it's just a survival mechanism of of knowing that he's out of place, feeling like he's out of place, feeling like he doesn't fit in in these environments. As you often sometimes do in these in these environments as a person of color, you sometimes feel like, you know, you have to kind of put on this keeping up appearances thing to to fit in and to assimilate. And so it's all about what can I do in the moment that's going to keep me afloat. It's all about him, him, him. It's less about other people. And unfortunately, people often end up, you know, in the wave of, of the Farley tsunami like because of that and end up being, like, taken down by a cutting comment or, you know, whatever it is. And it's... That's definitely a character... That, you know, it's definitely a... a, a I don't want to... I don't want to judge him, but, like, you know, a... a something he needs to work on uh, <laughs> he needs to work on in therapy probably but it's not because he's just going out to be mean to people I think he's actually really quite kind I think he's actually he's somebody really that you would want to be your friend he really he would really ride for you if you are his friend yeah but like all good characters you know that's why Emerald's so brilliant he's unbelievably complicated actually because we have to wrap up in a moment I wanna, you mentioned karaoke just then and there's a there's a scene in which Farley does karaoke last time I saw you you were on your way to do karaoke in, in, in real life just before we leave what is your song of choice my song of choice well I am a karaoke king I will say that and I jump between Sean Paul Get Busy and Achy Breaky Heart Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> and um, I'll Make a Man Out of You by, uh, by In Mulan Donny Osmond I think sings that that is a crowd pleaser every single time and that is exactly the complexity of character that Emerald for now would be proud of <laughs> I think you're right Archie thank you very much for speaking to us <laughs> As someone who went to university, notoriously briefly, as I like to remind you all, uh, minus a degree, yeah. um, what was, how close to this was university life? Um, well, for me, this was extremely far away right. from what I experienced. I guess one of the reasons by virtue of kind of going to uni in London is you kind of don't quite... I don't know, you do... I don't know. I think going to St. Martin's, sorry to, to drop that in, um, <laughs> it, it is just quite different anyway, just because like the, the course sizes are much smaller. The people that you mingle with are just, it's just more tight knit. I feel like you don't get as much of a, I don't know if I'm explaining this. I well. think as well, when I, uh, it's I, not your uh, Russell Group uni too, experience. I too went to St. Martin's. <clears throat> <laughs> if anyone's doing the shot game of, of mentioning Central St. Martin while they're listening to this, you've just done two. I, I I remember moving to London, actually, and for the first, like, two months, I thought, what is this? This is crap. Because oh, really? I was seeing all my friends who were at, like, Bristol or Manchester or Leeds, and they were having, like, the time of their lives. So we were going to freshest parties and drinking, like, you know, 50p shots and, like, dressing up as... God knows what and going to all these parties and you don't that's it's just not the same experience in London mm. so yeah I'd agree with Jade it's very far removed but then I think the power dynamics can can be why is that do you think if people in London aren't as fun I think it's because it's so expensive annoyingly right yeah. oh it isn't the same I sort of fresh as night not, out no, culture no not at all no, yeah. Yeah, I suppose there's not like the strip that people go to and no you know. and it's just more like crummy I don't know it's like it, you you have less of those kind of like massive houses where like 10 of you are living and yes. it's like you have the massive kitchen and stuff I feel like my friends who went to Manchester Leeds Bristol these Russell Group unis have the friends that they've amassed from those experiences are more kind of like you know the kind of posh 
mm. kind of thing. Whereas I don't feel that that was a massive thing for me, at least at St. Martin's. It wasn't like this influx of like people from different classes and, and stuff like that. I see that um, was my experience. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> like I think meeting yeah. people who like, you know, whose dads were like, I don't know, president of Malaysia or just stuff like that. Yeah. And you're like, what? This is crazy. And then there'd be, you know, people who were more associated with like me mm. and sim- you know, it was more, yeah. more of that. So I definitely did find that at mm. university. That sort of like big mix of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I got a really good pitch from a writer the other day that the British university experience hasn't really been depicted on film very often. It's and when true. you think about it, it hasn't really. You know, you mm. think about all those American kind of college things, yeah. you know, that sort of genre, particularly in the true. noughties, it felt like there was a lot of like, you know, those, co- it was mm. American pie sort of college thing, wasn't it? Totally. You know? The house um, bunny. Yeah. And there, 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 there isn't really the British experience on mm. screen, is that I can think, you know, there's fresh meat, that TV show. Yeah. But in a film, I can't really think of. No, I can't. It always just cuts off, doesn't it? Yeah. It's always school. I guess in between us was like, yeah, that was sixth form. Sixth form, yeah. Skins, Skins was, was sixth, sixth form. form. But there's not a film about like a, a group of young kids who are going to Leeds University and this is their first year and this is what happens, no. you know, in the no. same way that there is maybe in the States of like, this is yeah. the college, you know. I wonder why that is. And I find that the university experiences that have been depicted are very much the Oxford Cambridge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. uh, what's that? One day. That was. Oh my that, god! One that, day. That, one day. That, that was at Oxford. Um, the Riot Club. That was in Oxford. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that, that's because it's easier to nail, just because it's quite kind of like tight, whereas, like the rest of the kind of uni experience is so kind of like vast and sprawling that it can be, it's more difficult to kind of nail down. Maybe the people making the films as well. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Very true. I don't know. Mm. Uh, well, maybe possibly this is this is a film that will, will usher in a, a wave of, of, of <laughs> university so. films. Of, so. Yeah, I mean, we see a salt burn in Leeds University next time. <laughs> oh my god! I would enjoy that very much. So would I. Um, all right, final thoughts on the film. Final uh, rating out of ten. Eight out of ten. Just so much fun. <laughs> it's a it's lot like fun. it's rare that you finish watching a film, the credits roll, and you're like, I could watch that again. Yeah. Right now. Yes, eight out of ten for me. Yeah, excellent from start to finish. Exhilarating, sexy, unhinged, unhinged, mm. very unhinged. Thank you for listening to the Face Podcast with me, Matthew Whitehouse. Today I was joined by Face Style and Culture Editor TJ Sidju and Face Assistant Editor Jade Wicks. The Face Podcast is recorded at Spotify, produced by Hunter Charlton. See you next time.